Tonight we uh, begin a new series from one of the most exciting books in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. And the series is called Joshua, When It's Time to Take the Hill. You know, the book of Joshua covers the history of Israel as they were going into the promised land, conquering the promised land, possessing the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And here, after waiting for hundreds of years, the book of Joshua records for us them going into the land. God has called the people to take the hill. And chapter 1 opens with the death of Israel's leader. Moses led the nation for 40 years. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses was a great man. In fact, if you look at the last few verses of Deuteronomy, Go back to 34, Deuteronomy 34, it won't be on the screen there for you, but it says about Moses, uh, 34.10 of Deuteronomy, no prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. Moses was a great man of God, a great prophet, a great leader. Isn't it amazing that Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? That just kind of blows my mind. I mean, 80 years old, I know that he lived to be 120, but, but 80 years old. The children of Israel had been in the land of Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And now God calls Moses. They're at the burning bush. He says, go to Pharaoh. I I think we know the story, right? Go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. go." And the plagues and, and how God just miraculously delivered his people. They went through the Red Sea. I mean, God delivered them in a mighty way. And then for 40 years... Moses led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Pretty much because of their sin. Pretty much because of their their disbelief, right? And because of Moses' own sin, he was not able to enter into the promised land. He was a great man. But you know what? God was not limited to one person. And so God looked for the next man up. And Joshua was the next man up. And that's what we find here. Moses, my servant, is dead, verse 2. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over Jordan to the land I am given the Israelites. You know, we're just like less than 10 days or something into the new NFL season. Did you, did you know that? If you didn't know that, I'm not, I'm not going to make a comment, but, but shame on you. I'm kidding. Who cares about the NFL? Well, I kind of do, but we're, we're less than 10 days in. And did you know there's already guys who are on the injured list, right? I mean, one week of play and they are already out. I don't know. I haven't heard. Is anyone out for the season at this point? Those kinds of things happen. Some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time sat on the sidelines for, for several seasons watching some great quarterback, learning from that great quarterback, and then some injury happened, and that quarterback, that, that second stringer had to go in there, take his place. He had to be the next man up. You know who Tom Brady is, right? If you, don't, if you didn't know that the NFL started and who Tom Brady is, You've been living under a rock, man. I grew up in New England. And uh, Tom Brady, six-round draft pick out of Michigan, right? He was drafted in 2001. He's sitting on the sideline. Drew Bledsoe's the quarterback. He has this, this gruesome injury happen in September of 01. And Brady was the next man up, right? 
and hear this six-stringer, the six-string, uh, six-round draft pick, he becomes the most winningest Super Bowl quarterback in NFL history. And he's the GOAT, right? I mean, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Brady was simply the next man up. So here we have Joshua. Joshua is the next man up. He had some big shoes to fill, but look what God says in verse number five, what God says to Joshua. God tells Joshua, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. God's saying two things here. He's saying, first of all, that God is not limited to one person. Praise God for that, right? God is not limited to just one great guy, not even uh, an, an outstanding man like Moses. If God were just limited to one man, man, God would, would be a weak God. But God is not limited to get his work done by just one man. God was doing just fine before Moses came along, and God would be doing just fine after Moses was gone. And so, as we consider that, you know, there's really no room for us to get puffed up, is there? When it comes to doing God's work, being involved in God's work, we don't ever have to feel like we're God's gift to humanity, right? God was doing just fine before we came along. He's going to be doing just fine after we are gone, after we have passed on. The second thing that it tells us is that if God didn't believe that Joshua could do the job, he wouldn't have asked him, right? But here God has asked him. God has called him. God knew that Joshua was capable, that Joshua was able. And listen, this ought to be an encouragement to us. And I want to encourage us as a church that God can, in fact, use us to take the hill that he is calling us to take just as he used Joshua and the people of Israel to take the hill that he was calling them to take. God never calls anyone to do anything that he hasn't already given them the ability to do it, even though we may wonder if we're capable. And we do sometimes, don't we? We wonder if we're capable. We look in the mirror, we know who we are. We wonder, do we really have the stuff to take the hill? Well, listen, what we're going to see here tonight are three characteristics of God's next man up from Joshua. Three characteristics of God's next man up. And from these, I hope that we can see, that we will see, that God can use us to take the hill that he is calling us to take. So here's the first characteristic of God's next man up. Number one, Joshua was a readied man, a readied man. Here's the principle. God prepares us to take the hill he calls us to. God prepares us to take the hill he calls us to. God uses our experiences and our training to equip us for the hill that he wants us to take, just as he did for Joshua. How did God ready Joshua? Well, I did this this week, and you may want to do it. I'll just kind of walk you through it a little bit here. But, but go back and just find where Joshua is mentioned in Scripture before you get to Joshua chapter 1. You don't always see him named, but he's in the crowd, right? He's, he's one of those that was in Egypt. He's one of those that came out of Egypt. He was one of those who went through the Red Sea. He was one who went through the wilderness, right? Joshua's there, and we see him mentioned. And so I want to take us down what that looked like so that we can see how God readied him to be the next man up. First of all, Joshua was ready through hardship and toil. If you want to follow along in some of these verses, you can go to Exodus chapter 1. I'm not going to read them. But in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, Joshua is there. He is among the slaves in Egypt, the Hebrew slaves. Joshua was born into slavery. Joshua, in the, for the first 42 years of his life, he knew nothing more than being a slave in Egypt. All right, so, so put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a minute. When you read Exodus 
we find out that then that was that was hard labor. That was some that was some toil that that as it's described there, they were building cities, they were they were making brick and mortar, and, and the the taskmasters, the Egyptian taskmasters, man, they were really coming down hard on the on the children of, of Israel. And Joshua was a part of that. And I think what we can learn from that church is that God uses the hardships and the toils, the long hardships that we go through in life, the, just the day-to-day toils of life, the hard work of life. God uses those experiences, the experiences that you have each and every day when you clock in, between the time you clock in and clock out, God uses those very experiences. See, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to work, man. I just got to pay the bills. And we, we don't factor into, the, into it that God uses what we experience in our line of work, where we work, the toil the, and all the hardships that we face in our life. God uses that to ready us to take the hill that he calls us to. And Joshua was being readied before we ever knew his name. Joshua was being prepared to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into the promised land long before we knew who he was. And just day in and day out for 42 years, man, he just made brick and mortar and built cities under the cruel Egyptian taskmasters. But God was readying him. You know, we've all been through our share of hardships, haven't we? Have you had some? We all have. Some of you have, uh, you know, I've, I know that you've had some physical issues that have just plagued you for, for years, right? Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have been through some, some, some dark times. Listen, those are not wasted times. God uses them for good in our lives. He uses them for good as he prepares us, equips us to take the next hill. God also, excuse me, prepared Joshua to be the next man up by readying him in the observing of his mighty power. As you keep moving through Exodus, we find Moses shows up, right? He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He resists, right? And what happens? God sends these 10 plagues onto Egypt, right? The flies, the, 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 the hail, the fire. I mean, it was, it was quite something to behold. The Nile turning to blood. Listen, Joshua saw it happen. Joshua saw it happen. When Israel was finally delivered and they left, right? In the, in the middle of the night, the, the Pharaoh says, Leave, get out of here, take whatever you want with you, right? And they're fleeing through. And remember, they end up at the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh finally figures that, that he better chase them down, right? And so there's, they're up against the, sea, the Red Sea and the army of Egypt is behind them. Do you remember this? And, and God puts himself with that cloud right between them. And then you know what happens? God opens the Red Sea and what happens? They walk through on dry ground. Now, okay, I just take the Bible literally. So I'm, I'm, I just believe that that actually happened just like it says. I don't think it was the Reed Sea, you know, like some of them say. Yeah. It, was the, it was probably ankle deep. It's maybe a bigger miracle if it was ankle deep because he drowned the entire Egyptian army in like six inches of water. I mean, I, that, that's a pretty big miracle too. I just take it for what it says. I believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so anything after that, if God could speak the sun into existence, I believe God could part the waters, right, for his people. Joshua walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. He saw that happen. He was a part of that experience. They went out into the wilderness, they were thirsty. They were hungry. God rained down manna. God brought water from a rock. Joshua saw all of that happen. What was going on? God was readying him. 
God was readying him to lead Israel across the Jordan River and to conquer cities like Jericho and and Ai and, and the giants in the land, to see God deliver the nation and to deliver all of these other nations into their hand. He witnessed all that. He saw the mighty power of God. Listen, have you seen the mighty power of God? Have you? Have you observed it in your life? I hope you have. We have around here. We've seen it. Years ago, man, I stood up in church. I I remember saying to our little church, hey, we're going to, if we're ever going to have property, it's going to take a miracle. I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the story sometime. But it has miracle written all over. I don't know how else to explain it. God did it. God split the Red Sea for us. God has worked mighty wonders. And, and that, we, we could just go down through the last 18 years and I could just, I can chronologically think of it in my mind, just one thing after another, how God has shown us his mighty power. Man, that readies us. That readies our hearts, that readies our faith to be able to take the next hill. Like, God, we've seen what you have done. We know what you can do. We're with you. We'll take the hill. I think also as you keep going through Exodus, we find that God also readies Joshua to be the next man up through fighting and winning battles. In Exodus chapter 17, you find Joshua uh, as a commander of the Israelite army. Do you remember that story? They were fighting Amalek, and, and Moses and Aaron and Ur, they, they go up onto a hill. Remember this? They go up on a hill, and Moses puts his hands up, and Aaron and Ur, they stood on each side of, and they, hold, they held his hands up. And you remember what happened? When his hands were up, what happened? They were winning, right? Israel was, Israel was making ground, man. They were defeating the enemy, and as, as his arms would begin to fall, what would happen? Right? They, they started to lose, right? And so they held his arms up and, and God gave them the victory that day. Joshua was the commander in that battle. God was readying him as a warrior. God was readying him in, in giving them the victory and seeing that, that God was the key to the victory. He learned that on that day. It's God who gives us the victory. God was readying him to take the next hill. Also, as you keep going, Exodus 24, God readies Joshua through encountering God up close. Exodus chapter 24. Go back and read some of these passages later. In Exodus 24, the next time we find Joshua, he's following Moses up a different hill. This time he's following Moses up a cloud-covered hill. It's called in the passage, the mountain of God. It's Mount Sinai. And Moses and Joshua go up this hill and and the people stay at the bottom and this cloud covers the top of the mountain, the glory of God. And and somewhere along the way, Moses leaves Joshua and he goes all the way up into the cloud to meet with God. And listen, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. I just, I started thinking this week. What was Joshua doing? He wasn't home. He couldn't be home in his tent. Maybe he brought some good reading material, you know, a couple stone tablets or something. I don't know. What, what did he do for 40 days and 40 nights? You know what I suppose he did? I suppose he kept an eye on the people down there. And I suppose he spent a lot of time looking up at that cloud and wondering, man, What's going on up there? He was closer to God in that experience than anybody else in Israel. It's interesting. You keep reading through Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what we find later is that uh, after they come down off the mountain, remember the people decide to, to, build, to make an idol and a golden calf, and, and Moses judges the people. Well, Moses then sets up this tent of meeting, it's called, outside the camp, like the people... You're, you're, you're wicked, you've turned from God. So he sets up this tent of meaning outside the camp. 
And he would go out there, and when Moses would go out to that tent of meeting, the, the glory of the Lord would come down upon that tent, and Moses would speak to the Lord. Moses would, would commune with the Lord, and Joshua, it tells us, that Moses would leave the tent, but Joshua never left the tent. Joshua stayed in the tent of meaning, that place where, where Moses met God. Hmm, what do you suppose was going on there? I'll tell you what was going on. God was getting Joshua ready. He was, he was giving Joshua a close encounter. Remember, it was different in the Old Testament. They, they couldn't just, uh, people just couldn't approach God like we can today. Jesus, his death on the cross tore the veil open, right? We have access now. They didn't have that back then. And so for Joshua to have that up-close encounter with God in the tent of meeting, man, that had a part in readying him to be the next man up. We don't have a tent of meeting today, but you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, go into your private room, shut your door, And pray to your father who is in secret. Church, every time we go into our closet and shut the door and talk to our heavenly father, have that close encounter with God, we are being readied to take the next hill. I I hope that, that you have a closet, a closet, a place that you go and you spend time with God every, t- every day. We just sang that song tonight. I know it's brand new for everybody. I just learned it this week, and I was like, we're going to sing that. Church, behold our God. Can you just visualize, right, Isaiah, the throne of God, right, the seraphims and the cherubims, right, with their, with their six wings and they're covering their, their eyes, their head, their, their feet, and they're flying. And, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Isaiah has this, this, this view of God and how that impacted him. Remember what he said? How did that encounter with God impact him? What did he say? He said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what happens when we have a close encounter with God. Man, the glory of God has that effect on us where we recognize our frailty, our humanity, our depravity, and how much we need God. And we we end up recognizing our sin in our life and confessing that to him. You see, that encounter with God readies us to be the next man up, to take the next hill. Are you having God encounters. It will ready you to be the next man up. Uh, Also, as you keep reading through the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 11, we find that God readied Joshua to be the next man up through failure and faithlessness. Numbers 11 and, and 13 and 14 chapters there. In chapter 11, after the Spirit comes on these two elders of the camp, they prophesy and And Joshua cries out to Moses to stop them. And Moses is like, Joshua, shut up. No, we're not going to stop them. They're doing the work of the Lord. He said, I wish wish everybody in the camp would do the work of the Lord. Joshua put his foot in his mouth. He was trying to protect Moses, but he failed. Doesn't God use our failures to ready us to take the hills? Isn't it important for us? to have failures in our past that we can look at and have learned from, right? We all have them. I have plenty, more than I care to admit. But God uses those failures in our past to ready us. And also faithlessness. This is Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You remember that Joshua is one of the, the, the 10 spies that were were called up to go and spy out the land of Canaan. Remember this? They go in. They see the, the, the walled cities. They see the giants in the land. And they come back. And what do, they, what do the, the ten spies say? What do the eight, eight say? We can't do this. We can't. 
the walls are too high, the, 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 the giants are too big, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, we can't do this. God was telling them to take the hill, and the people are like, we're going to listen to the, the faithless spies, we're not going to do it. They disobeyed God, and we know what happened because of that. The entire generation, other than Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. Listen, don't you have to think that watching the faithlessness of those people and attending countless funerals over 40 years in the wilderness had already an effect on Joshua that when God said, go take the land, he was like, yes, sir, tell me when. Let's go, right? The faithlessness of others. Man, that helps ready us. Sometimes we, we watch other people and, and we get discouraged by the faithlessness or the failures of others. And, and I've seen it just train wreck Christians. Man, don't, don't be train wrecked by the faithlessness and, and the failures of other Christians. Look, we're all human beings and we are going to fail. I'm going to fail you in some way, shape or form. I am just a human being, right? As we all are. Don't be derailed when, when pastor so-and-so fails or, or, or his faithlessness or whatever. Listen, let's just keep going on for the Lord, right? We keep our eyes on God. Joshua, God was readying him. And I think the last way that I see in the Old Testament God readying Joshua to be the next man up is Numbers 27 in Deuteronomy 3, and that was the clear call of God. Moses, God tells Moses, he says, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will cross over ahead of the people and enable them to inherit the land that you will see. God's call ready Joshua. Joshua knew that God had called him And that gave him the strength and the courage to take the hell. He knew that it was God's call on his life. You know, I do believe that God has prepared us as a church. I I believe that he has. That he's prepared us to take the hill He's presently calling us to take. I can look in the rear view, right? I can look in the rear view and I can see the hand of God, the goodness and mercy of God. I can see his calling. I can see his, his work through our failures, through faithlessness. I can see his work. I can see his hand over the past 20 years. And what I believe is that God has readied us for this very moment. I believe that with all of my heart. I'm absolutely 100% convinced that God has readied us to take the next hill. So the next man up is a readied man. Secondly, he's a resourced man. And here's the principle. God always provides what is needed to take the hill he calls us to. He always provides what is needed because taking the next hill, it requires some resources, right? So what are the resources that God has given to Joshua? Let's go back to Joshua chapter one. He's been ready. Joshua has been ready as God's next man up. Now let's see the resources that as God tells him, go take the next hill. What are the resources that we find in Joshua chapter one? Well, in verse number two, God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over Jordan. Look what he says, to the land I am giving the Israelites. So Joshua was, first of all, resourced by the plan of God. God's plan was a resource upon which Joshua could draw. What was the plan? God said, I'm giving this land to Israel. For 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness. For 400 years, they were in Egypt, right? That's a long time. But you know what, church? God's plan never changed. It never changed. 
You can track God's plan. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 when God promises right there in the garden to give a redeemer. One who would come, born of woman, right? That would crush the head of the serpent. God promised that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And everything you read in the Old Testament is God doing that plan. He is, he's performing that plan. He's working out that plan. And so God's plan, I mean, Joshua, here he is, next man up. Hey, go take the land that I'm given to the Israelites. Listen, that was a long time coming. <laughs> that was God working a plan when, Where's God? Imagine being born at year 156 in slavery, in the slavery of Egypt. Imagine. Imagine living and dying as a slave in Egypt, as a Hebrew slave, never knowing anything different than slavery in Egypt. Where's God? What's up with this God? Where are you? You, you promised us the land? Yeah. Well, this sure isn't it, right? H- have you been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're like, God, what gives here? What gives? You, you called. You, you said you would do X, Y, and Z. Why haven't you done it? Listen, listen. Just because we can't see God Working his plan, it doesn't mean that God is not working his plan. God is always, always, always working his plan. Always. Always. And God's plan would be accomplished. You know what I've learned in the last 18 years? God's plans are always better than mine. Always. My, my dream was to take a church in New Hampshire where I could ski on my days off. That was my plan. I know. God had other plans. God had other plans. I told my wife when we left Connecticut, sell all the baby stuff, all the, the strollers, all that stuff. We are done. We had four. They were little. We're moving all the way from Connecticut out here to Phoenix. And, and I was like, I, we don't want to trek that stuff all the way across the country. We're done. Let's get rid of it all. And we got here and we had Ethan, our little Down syndrome boy. He's not so little. He's now 17, 17 years old. Man, boy, we wept. Our hearts were crushed when he was born. We didn't know, we didn't know what Down syndrome was. I, I, I didn't know. I had all this stuff going through my head about what this was going to be like. I, you know, I, I was imagining the worst of it all. And the truth is, you know what? We wouldn't change Ethan one bit. You, you think Ethan has troubles? I'll introduce you to my other kids, right? <laughs> God's plans are always better. We had Ethan and then we had Brianna. And I'm telling you, there's not a day that goes by that I think, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you that my little pronouncement that we're done having kids. Thank you that you had a better plan. Thank you. Listen, God's plans are always better than our own. Frank, do you remember looking at the, the properties over there on 91st Avenue? Man, we looked at some properties. 83rd Avenue, we, we looked at this property. This is years ago. Remember this? A, a, a little garage, right? A, this little dilapidated garage. We're like, we're walking through like, maybe we could, maybe we could make this thing an auditorium or something. <laughs> remember this? We were just dreaming like, maybe this would work. And we started pursuing this thing. And, and God was like, yeah, that's, that's not it. And then we tried to buy a house over here on 91st Avenue, the water tank property, right? The, the big water tanks there. And we went and we, we were going to bid on this thing. And all these other people showed up and another church actually got it. You know what? They never were able to use that property. Never. Like it sat there and they fought with the county over that thing. They had to just get rid of the thing. And I thinking, man... Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we didn't end up with that monstrosity, you know? Uh, and then there was a, a, remember the Blue Roof Church, man, we tried to buy. 
All, every piece of property we have tried to buy was a little weird, a little shady. The Blue Roof Church, 2009, man. And man, that was, that was something else. I, I thought God had let us down when that thing fell through. I thought God let us down. I thought God uh, abandoned us. And I can't tell you how many times I've hiked Sunrise Mountain and I can see that blue roof and I can see the property that God gave to us. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, God, thank you for telling us no. Thank you for breaking our hearts on Pinnacle Peak Road. Thank you that you didn't give us what we thought we wanted. God's plans are always better than ours. We took our, our, our leadership team out to the property on Happy Valley and, and to see our guys' eyes, this is it. This is, what we've been, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been praying for. This is it. And then to see how God brought all of that to pass. God did that. God's plans are better than ours. We can resource the plan of God. We can, we can know that God is working a plan. And that is one of the greatest resources we have, is the plan of God. Also, we find that God gave this resource to Joshua. That is his promises. Verse 3, I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Joshua is resourced by the promises of God. God's promise to give them the land. was He promised that to Abraham, it was transferred to, to Isaac and to Jacob, to the 12 tribes of Israel. It was very specific. And after hundreds of years... God's promise was still in effect. God never forgot his promise. He tells Joshua, I am going to give you every piece of ground that you step on. And that's exactly what God did. God's promises are directly tied to who God is. He's God. And he doesn't lie. He never fails. And so... When God gives a promise, you can take it to the bank. God gave them, he told them his plan. He gave them a promise. And then he said, I am going to give it. I'm going to give it. All of their effort, all the fighting that they would have to do as they would go in to, to take the next hill, all of that was actually God giving it to them. They would have to fight the battles. There would be obstacles, but, but they could take the hill because God was going to give it to them. For 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness, think about that, man. They never went without, never. Never. God provided everything they needed without a Walmart in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't work. God took care of them. They, they lacked nothing in the wilderness. Do you ever get afraid about your needs? Church, should we be frightened about the needs of our church in the future? God says that he can supply all of our needs. He tells us that if we seek his kingdom first, that all of our needs, all of the things that we need will be provided for us. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And so church, God has given us his provision. We can trust God. If we will follow his plan, we can trust God to provide our needs, to make a way. Joshua is also resourced by the presence of God. In verse number five, he says, Joshua, I will be with you. Just as I was with Moses, I will not leave you or abandon you. God assures Joshua they would never be alone. God would be with his people. He would not abandon them. Have you gone through a period of time in your life where you felt like God had abandoned you? That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? That's a terrible thing. After that, after that building thing that I was just telling you about, the Blue Roof Church, man, I, I went for several months. I couldn't pray. I mean, I prayed. 
I would stand up in church and lead a prayer and inside, please don't throw anything at me or hate me, right? And inside, I am chuckling. I am thinking to myself, God, you abandoned us. You let us down. I can't, I can't talk to you. Isn't that, is that terrible? Come on, just, it's terrible. <laughs> and one morning, I'm sitting at my dining room table. I open my Bible. I'm reading through John, and I come to Jesus on the cross. And his arms are stretched out, and he's dying. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, you don't think you can trust me? You think I abandoned you? I gave my life for you. Who's done that for you lately? And man, that just, that changed my attitude. That changed everything. Listen, God will never abandon his own. We feel it sometimes. It seems like it, but I'm telling you something. God has not abandoned you when you think he has. In fact, he is still working a plan and he is readying you to be the next man up. He's readying you to take a hill. He's readying us to take a hill and he's done it in so many different ways. And even in those times when we felt abandoned, no, no, He has not abandoned us. He is going to be with us. I will be with you. That's a promise made to Joshua, yes, but you can go to the New Testament and you can find that promise. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus says it. I will never leave you or abandon you. What a resource, isn't it, church? Amen? Isn't it a resource to know that as we take the next hill, we're not doing this alone. God is with us. The fifth resource that I see that God gives Joshua is his program. What does it say? He says there in verse 7 and 8, God's program for success. Observe carefully the whole instruction My servant Moses commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of the instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. What was God's program of success? Observe my word. Listen to my instruction. Talk about my instruction. Meditate on my instruction. God's word, God's program through his word was a resource that Joshua could continue go to, to go back to. We have the same thing. As you take the next hill, whatever that hill is in your life, always come back to the word of God. Every obstacle you face, every challenge you face, go back to the word of God and it will instruct you and it will encourage you. When Ethan was born, man, I can remember the day like it was... Like it was yesterday, my wife and I were laying in bed, we're weeping, we didn't know what was going on, our world had been flipped upside down, and there were so many unknowns, he, he was going to need surgery, and he ended up having open heart surgery, and there, we were just, we were a mess, and I can remember opening my Bible to Psalm 18, and God just, like, using his word to instruct us and say, Dave, it's okay. You see, we had been praying for, several, for, for about two years, Lord, teach us your way. Lead us in a plain path. In Psalm 18, God says, I'm making your way perfect. My way is perfect. The, God's way is perfect. And I'm going to make your way perfect. So we were praying for God's way. And God says, yeah, I'll show you my way. But your way isn't perfect. It needs some perfecting. And I'm going to use this in your life. That was the scripture. And how many times we've been able to turn to the scripture and see God guide us and direct us through his instruction. Church, if we're going to take the next hill, we are going to have to keep coming back to this book. You see, in reality, look at the list. Look at the list. In reality, there's only one resource on the list. What's the resource? It's God. It's God. 
God's the only resource we need. The only resource. We don't need anything else. I think I told you a couple weeks ago that I can go back to a park in Johnson, Rhode Island where, where, where we're getting ready to, to move. Well, actually, this is right after our call. I had no idea how we were going to do this. We have four little kids, and I'm praying, Lord, how in the world am I going to move our family halfway across the country? We have no money. And there, I'm sitting in my little minivan. I'm sitting at a park in Johnson, Rhode Island, Johnson Memorial Park, and I'm, I'm, it had just rained, and there's birds picking worms out of the dirt. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, Dave, I feed the birds. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5 and 6? He said, your heavenly father feeds the birds. You're better than them. He's going to take care of you. And it was right there where, where I just settled in my heart. Okay, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going we're to trust you. You're going to have to be the one to provide for us. And here's, here's the testimony, church. Listen, God has provided everything, ev- everything everything. We have never gone without, ever. He made it possible, everything possible. All the surgeries. I I had major surgery my first year here, and Ethan had open heart surgery. God provided everything. As we were signing the contract uh, with the Peterson Group uh, for our property and and all of that, and, and receiving funds from all of that, you know what was going through my mind? They're just, this is just worms. It's just worms. It's just God. It's God. God is the only resource we need. And that brings us to this third aspect of God's next man up. And that is a responsive man. Here's the principle. God uses us to take the hill he calls us to as we respond with faith and obedience. God was the only resource Joshua needed. God gave him the promise. He gave him the provision. He was giving them the land. All what, But they had to do something. Joshua had to get off his keister, right? He had to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River. They had to get up and go fight some battles. And what was that going to require? Well, first and foremost, it was just going to require faith and obedience. Faith and and obedience. And so as a responsive man, that is how we are to respond. If we're going to be the next man up, then we have to respond, first of all, with faith. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Respond not with fear, but respond with faith. Trusting God, not faith in faith. Okay? Don't, don't have faith in faith. It's not, it wasn't faith in themselves. God doesn't say, Joshua, I believe in you. <laughs> God didn't believe in Joshua. Joshua needed to believe in God, right? But... You follow me? It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in ourselves. It's not faith in our abilities. When he says be strong and courageous, he's not, he's not trying to pump him up, you know, so he'd have a, 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 a better feeling about himself. No, he's just, it's faith in God, not a blind faith. This wasn't a blind faith. God said he was going to do something. They were simply to act on it with faith. Just faith in God. What was Joshua's part of that? Just being strong and courageous, moving forward with faith and obedience. Look what he says there, verse 7. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. There's only one right response to God's call. And that's obedience. Really, the, the emphasis of the first chapter of Joshua, the emphasis, emphasis is on the vital role of obedience. It's repeated throughout the book. It's repeated in the book of Joshua. 
I'm sorry, in the book of Judges, right? In every period of Israel's history, it always came down to one thing. Will you trust me and obey me? Forty years earlier at Kadesh Barnea, the children of Israel had an opportunity to go in and possess the, the land, to take the hill. And because they would not trust God and not obey, they died in the wilderness. It was a lack of faith and obedience. It had nothing to do with the giants. It had nothing to do with the walls in Riyadh. God could have given them the victory like he would in this, as we read through Joshua. He could have done it then. The problem was their lack of faith and obedience. Obedience brings victory. Disobedience brings defeat. And you can write that down. You can put it on your mirror so that every morning you see it. Obedience brings victory in our lives. When we disobey God, we are always going to be defeated in one way or the other. Now, 40 years later, God says, take the hill. If we will live in a close relationship with God, like Joshua, being responsive and obedient to him, we can be assured of victory. We have to follow God, follow his plan. We have to live with faith and obedience, and we can know that the hill that God calls us to take, God will enable us to take it. And so my question is this. It's on the screen. Will you be a next man up? Will you be a Joshua? Will you fill a vacancy that others have left behind? Will you? I believe that God has readied us. I believe that God has resourced us. And I believe it's just up to us to be strong and courageous and to respond with faith and obedience. So I'm asking you, will you join us in taking the next hill?